So thanks for that. That, that took me quite by surprise. Um, so I'm a little bit thrown. Um, thank you. It's a real honor and a joy for me to stand here and, and talk to you for a little while today. Um, you're going to be hearing all kinds of advice. You probably know that in the coming days and weeks as you move towards graduation. Um, everybody's going to have things to tell you, and there's a lot of self-help books out there. So I was incredibly touched, really deeply moved when I got this invitation, and I realized that you wanted to have some advice from me. Um, so I, I've prepared some remarks, and I'm going to go ahead and, and give them, and I think uh, you'll see that it's a piece with the comments that some of you made about me. So this gathering is a really special moment for you. You occupy a place, a space, a context that anthropologists call liminal. You are in a transitional moment. You're about to move from this place, the North Browns, from your life as students to the world of work, the world of practicing lawyers. And these kinds of transitional moments, these thresholds are really important in your development as human beings. And you, we pause, we reflect, we attach lots and lots of significance to them. So it's a liminal moment, a really important moment. Um, it's a liminal moment for me too, and yes, I'm gonna talk a little bit about me, even though it's supposed to be about you, but it's a liminal moment for me and for my colleagues because it's a parting. Soon you're going to be leaving us, and partings are liminal moments. They're liminal moments for both sides. They're liminal moments for the people who are doing the leaving, and they're also liminal moments for the people who are left behind. So it gives me the opportunity to reflect on what this moment means for me, losing all of you as you move into the world beyond, and for my colleagues as well. So, so here's, here's the deal. Um, you invited me to come and speak to you, and my impression is that my mission is to give you advice about what you should do in the future, to give you some kind of a charge, um, some kind of suggestion about the things that you should be thinking about as you move across the threshold and into the world that waits beyond. Um, but I went ahead and construed the invitation a little bit more broadly um, to include advice about what you should do today, today, tomorrow, and in the next couple of days. Because I was, as I was getting ready to come down and speak to you, it struck me we're not quite yet at the threshold, right? So we're sort of on the threshold of the threshold. Um, you still have a little bit of time left before you move to the threshold, before graduation day. And I have a couple of thoughts about how you might spend it. Um, so when I was trying to think of my advice, I was trying to think of something that would be personal and that would speak to all of you. And that's difficult, of course, because right now, I know, I've talked with many of you, you're experiencing a range of emotions. And that's because you had a range of expectations that you brought with you to UVA Law School. And of course, you've had a range of experiences since you've been here. So uh, just to throw out there what I've heard from some of you, some of you would really like to stay, you say. This has been a great thing, and you're going to miss the flexibility of uh, a, a school schedule and, and the, 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 the ability to keep learning from professors and all that good stuff. Um, some of you are more than ready to move on. You are so done with it, you can't even imagine writing that last paper. Uh, you come around for pep talks, you're, you're ready to go. Um, a lot of you tell me you have mixed feelings, some of both. You, you had a great time here, you uh, would like to have a little more time, but you're also ready to go. You know it's time to go three years, yep, it's up. Um, and then some of my favorite comments have come from those who tell me, you wish you had never come here in the first place. 
Now, uh, fortunately, I haven't heard too many of those stories, and they tend to be pretty specific, coming from people who say, I want to be a lawyer, but I never wanted to go to law school. Um, so I, I take it you probably would have been unhappy anywhere or, or wish, <laughs> wish, you were somewhere, wish you were somewhere else. So, so you have a range of experiences, a range of expectations, and, and a range of ideas uh, uh, about what kind of advice would be useful. So the other thing, of course, is you're headed to really different places. You're going to different towns, to different markets. Some of you are going to big law, some to medium law, some to private practice, some to government service. Um, some to working for organizations that try to counteract and contradict everything that government does. Um, so again, I was thinking, what could I, what could I tell you? So I do have a specific abstract charge for you, and then I'm going to follow it up with some specific suggestions. Um, so my charge for you is this. I charge you to cultivate in yourselves a spirit of loving kindness. And I am absolutely confident that this is the most important advice that I can give to you because it's what I've learned from you and your colleagues over the years, that this is the most important thing for you to do in order to have lives that are filled with joy, both professionally and personally. And of course, that's what I and my colleagues want for you. We want for you to find joy in your professional lives and joy in your personal lives, and to do that, you must cultivate a spirit of loving kindness. Now, some of you have asked me if I've given a charge before, and I, I did give one before. I didn't go back and look at it. Um, it may have some overlap with this one. But my intuition is that if I had been asked to give a charge, say, 10, 12, 15 years ago, my advice would be really different. I would not have said anything about love or kindness. No way. <laughs> And, 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 and I would have given it good advice. I would have said a lot of good things. I would have told you be honest. I would have told you to take responsibility for your work. I would have told you to be sure that you develop your narrative skills as well as your analytical skills. Remember, narrative skills are important. I would have told you own your work from the beginning of your careers. I would have told you if you make a mistake, fix it. You can fix your mistakes, just fix your mistakes. I would have told you, say no when it's prudent to say no. Don't take on too much. And I think that all of this advice is good, and I would still give it today. Um, but, but here's the thing. It just wouldn't have occurred to me to tell you to cultivate uh, a, a spirit of loving kindness. Um, and if it had, I would have just pushed that thought away. I would have been afraid to raise it. And here's why. So when I entered law teaching 25 years ago, I was told I had to be tough. The profession is really tough, I was reminded, and lawyers, practitioners are valued and valorized for certain tough, combative, you know, pragmatic, um, sharp adversarial style. And I was told, law professors, you gotta model that as well. But then I was told, Ann Coughlin, there's a catch. And I was told this by very dear friends who meant well. They said, you're a woman. And I went, oh yeah, right. Uh, and as such, as such, you're going to have to be twice as smart and twice as tough because your male students particularly are going to think you're stupid and they're going to think you're weak. So you have to be twice as tough and twice as smart in order to be a success. Whew, I was like, whoa, how's that going to work? 
Um, and then one day I got even more specific advice. I was asking a colleague, you know, how to balance all of these obligations we have, obligations to scholarship, obligations to teaching, and obligations to mentoring students. And I was told, you know what it's like around here. You kill what you eat. And I was like, whoa, you know, how's that analogy going to work out, you know, <laughs> especially when, you know, working with students. So, so, the, so for the first couple of years, even though the advice seemed problematic, I thought this is what I have to do. And so I tried to be tough. I tried to identify the professors who I thought were the biggest and baddest curmudgeonly types and imitate their, 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 their ways. Um, and it, it just totally backfired for me. Everything I did worked out really badly. I would always call out the wrong person for the wrong thing, like they weren't doing what I said they were doing. Or I would call out someone for doing something that they absolutely should do, like, I have to go to the bathroom now, Professor. Okay, like what am I messing with people for when they have to go to the bathroom, right? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then I discovered, even when I did identify a malefactor, you know, someone who really was misbehaving, it just didn't feel good to follow the pull no punches style. But then it was students who showed me the light. And I had the most wonderful conversations over the years, and I'm going to just record a couple. Um, one was about my reactions to the libel show. And I won't mention my reactions this year. You've got, <laughs> they got my clothes, but not the shoes so much. I don't wear those cute little black shoes. Where is Mark Lynn? Um, <laughs> More like the cowboy boot. Um, but in any event, in any event, in any event, you did nail the clothes. I want those clothes that Mark wore. Um, but, <laughs> but in any event, the libel show, I, would, I spoke to the directors and writers to the Troika. And I was absolutely infuriated with the fact that they portrayed me as being nice. I was like, I want to be mean. Please portray me as being mean, as being a badass. And they were like, you're deranged, you know, you're sick, you know, you're crazy. Why, why would you want us to do that? So I thought about it, I thought, okay. My other favorite one was talking to some trusted three L's about course evaluations that I got one year from one L's. And the one L's were upset with me that year because I didn't kick their ass. I hadn't kicked their ass hard enough. And if I'd kicked their ass harder, it would have been better for them. And so I'm going to my three L friends and I'm saying, what should I do? You know, how do I kick people's asses? And they're like, the one L's don't want you to kick their ass. They don't know what they're talking about. You know, by the time they're two L's or three L's, they'll know that's ridiculous. This is a random kind of suggestion. And then the other funniest thing they pointed out to me was, all you need to do is ask a one L a question, and he's going to burst into tears. <laughs> you don't need to kick his ass. Just ask him a question. So in any event, I learned from you okay, how to be an effective professor in this space and how to think about modeling what I think will bring to you a joyful professional life. And so what I want to do is to say a couple of more things. Yes, you're stuck. Many of you already possess a spirit of loving kindness. Many of you probably do the things that I'm about to identify, but I suggest that you think about these things and practice and maybe keep some of them in mind. It isn't easy to be a loving person. I've been reading some sermons by Dr. King recently and I realized how far away I am from loving my enemies, um, which is something I'm really working on in this day of political polarization. I'm really trying um, and I'm so far away from it, but 
I'm, st I'm trying. So, 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 so the first thing that I want to charge you with is to be kind and loving to yourself. And my first basic thought is take care of your physical body. It's your house. You know, in Fourth Amendment, we talk about houses, papers, persons, and all that. You know, your house, your first and most important house is your body. I think that most of you, I dearly hope this is true, you're going to be on the planet for, you know, close to 100 years. So do you do the math? You're going to be around for a lot longer. Your body is the only body you have. So take care of it. You're just going to feel good. You're going to feel better. Um, be loving to yourself in that way. Um, the other piece of advice that I have is to be kind and loving to your effective self, the internal voice. Do you have an internal voice that tells you things about yourself, that gives you advice, that speaks to you? Work on making sure that that voice is kind and loving. Don't have a harsh voice. Don't have a voice that says pejorative, blaming, nasty things about yourself. You may need to give yourself a good talking to. Yep, absolutely you might. But when you give yourself a good talking to for something that you think you've done wrong, Imagine you're talking to your best friend. What would you say? How would you treat your best friend? What would your tone be if your best friend came and said, I need a talking to? You certainly would speak to them in tones that would be loving and kind. The next th piece of advice I have is show up for things. I charge you to show up for things. You are going to show up for work. And if there comes a time when you can't, and I'm going to say something about that later, um, We'll say something about that later. Uh, but you want to show up for a whole bunch of other things for your family and for your friends. Go to birthday parties. Go to baby showers. Go to weddings. Go to funerals. Go to dinner. Go. Show up and be there. And when you're there, listen. Try to listen and be actively present. It's the advice that my grandson gives me when uh, he notices that I'm looking at my cell phone instead of the Lego box, he'll grab me by the face and go, Mimi, focus. <laughs> and that's what you want to do too. And you can't do it all the time. There are times when your mind's going to wander. But this is the way you can be an active listener and really develop empathy for your family members and then maybe for the people that you think are your enemies as well. You can really listen and focus and try to understand where they are coming from. Another thing that I charge you to do, clear the air. Clear the air. If you think someone is pissed off at you, they probably are, and they probably have a good reason for being pissed off with you. It's certainly worth finding out if they have a good reason for being pissed off at you. So if you think something's going on, clear the air. Here's where it gets hard. It's easy to forgive people, but as Dr. King says, it's really hard to be forgiven. And to clear the air effectively, you're going to have to listen to your friend tell you what you did wrong and then allow yourself to be forgiven. It's a lot easier to just go, to have them say, I won't forgive you, and you go, oh, hell with you, and you run off, right? If they're going to forgive you, you have to stay in relationship with them. So just work on that. Clear the air. When people are upset, ask them why and try to make amends. Um, the other thing, and now I'm going to speak a little bit more specifically about some of my experiences with you and with this class, and I don't mean to make any of you uncomfortable. I'm not going to mention anyone by name, but you know who you are. <laughs> um, I also charge you to check your prejudice. So in the last three or four years, a new phrase has come into the nomenclature, check your privilege. 
And that's been really important for me, to identify the ways in which I'm privileged that are invisible to me, that I'm not aware of. Um, the ways, the things that I have, the assets and the resources that protect me from certain kinds of injuries that other people suffer. So it's really important to check your privilege. The problem for me is I don't perceive myself as coming from a place of privilege. So when I, and, and I didn't, I didn't come from a family with, with lots of money. Um, so I sort of worked my way into this class, into this job. And sometimes when I think about it, I just feel grateful for the fact that those things happen. And I forget to be empathetic to the people that lack them. And checking my privilege tends to make me sort of solipsistic, right? I'm looking at myself, I'm looking at my advantages, and I'm afraid my gaze might remain there. So for me, it's been really important when working with all of you to check my prejudice. And, and here I'm going to mention something kind of specific. You've all been so invaluable. So, so here's the unpleasant um, thing that I have to say. Um, you know that you're the class where we, the law school, infamously admitted only 36% women. Did, did, did you know that? Okay, yeah. Um, so <laughs> we were hoping you didn't notice. <laughs> so, so in any event, we, you know, we, we did that. We blew it. It's not on you. It's definitely on us. So I won't call you. We, you you're not going to go down in history as the infamous class of 2017, but the class where we infamously dropped the ball. And we did. We absolutely blew it. We let you down. We let the community down. It was bad. And so I went into criminal law that fall with, well, yes, Claire knows. I was indignant. I don't know if you were in that class. Never mind. Um, so I've been indignant for three years, and, and, and that, that, that happens. So, so but in any event, I look around the room. Where are all the women? And the men are sitting there, wall-to-wall -wall dudes, right? Most, <laughs> mostly, mostly white dudes, you know, wearing baseball hats. They're, they're nice little out, dude outfits. And I'm going, oh, no this is going to be a total disaster, right? Now, you've got to remember, I came by this prejudice a little bit honestly. I was warned when I went into law teaching, they're going to think you are weak and stupid. And so I still have that lingering. And because I'm a feminist, I expect that if anyone's going to give me a hard time, it's going to be white men. <laughs> so, so what happened that semester, and I'm not going to single anybody out, you know who you are, I had many conversations with women who were distressed, but I had many conversations with the male students as well about how distressed they were, about steps that they were taking to try to remedy the problem, at least in the moment. What could they do to make it better? And then I discovered that people who I thought might be spoiling for a fight with me were no such thing. Like, I just because of my stereotypes, I attributed to them some anim anim animosity that they didn't hold. So I really think the check your privilege movement that you all have taught me about is extremely important, but for me, I also have to keep checking my prejudice. And that tends to put me outward, and I look at someone and I think, well, I don't like you very much. I go, whoa, what am I thinking about? Why do I have that reaction? So do that. Um, the other thing that I want to say, I want to just talk to you really briefly about the work-life balance because I think I finally figured it out. Um, I've never had anything useful to say on this front. You know, it's kind of like, oh, well, balance this, balance that, what's reasonable, what do you like, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it struck me that for all of us, 
you're going to probably want some of both, right? So you're going to want to do some work that's meaningful, spend a good bit of time there and enjoy it. When you're there, make sure you're working with people you love because there's nothing better than having colleagues you really admire and treasure to keep you going, people who are supportive. Um, but you're going to probably want to have a little something else besides work. Some of you won't. For some of you, there won't be a work-life balance problem because it's going to be just work, right? And it, you're going to love it, and maybe that'll, it'll be that all the time for your whole life or for a period of time. But most of us want to have some of both. And here's what I've observed over the years, both for myself as a young lawyer and what I'm hearing from all of you. You know things are going wrong if work is always interrupting the other stuff. Always. So I heard from a student recently who reminded me of a conversation that we had when she was a young student about my experience when my daughter was born and the experience she was having with her child. She cannot wait for her son to go to sleep so she can get back to work. And she hates that. Of course, she doesn't really feel that way. She doesn't really want to, I'm not gonna say what you do with them, what you would do to make a child go to sleep. Just leave it to your imaginations, right? You know, give them a little whiskey or something, right? But if that happens to you, if you suddenly find yourself, when you're spending time in your life stuff, whatever it is, that you are constantly thinking, I should be back at work, I need to go back to work, I can't be doing any of this, and it's that way all the time, then the balance is out of whack. And I don't know exactly what to do about it. Oh, yes, I do. You get in touch with us. You call us, you come home to Charlottesville, and we help you work this out. So, so that's what I would say about the work-life balance. It's really difficult to, to, to strike. It's going to be different for everyone. But really, if you suddenly find that work is always interrupting or pulling you away from the people you love, then it's time to probably straighten things out. A couple more words. What should you do now? Right? You have a couple of weeks left at least, and you're going to say, oh, we have to take exams, we have to write papers. I know you're not really doing that. <laughs> you're just pretending. Um, uh, but with that said, I know you're really busy. At the same time, I really think you should take mental stock. Is there something that you wish you had done while you were here that you hadn't done that you could easily do? Is there some space that you walked by that you wish you had walked into? You know, some, 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 something like that. I, I don't know what that would look like. But more important, I think, is to take stock of your relationships, your friendships. You know, is there someone to whom you feel especially grateful? You know, someone out there. Look around at each other. You're here. You're still here. You're not gone yet. You know, you can, you can actually have that conversation. You can tell someone, boy, I'm so happy you did that for me. Or if you have amends to make. If you hurt someone's feelings, even if you did it inadvertently. Um, and, and you didn't mean to, right? You can, you can, you can take the opportunity to, to, to fix it, to, to make amends. Um, and that way you won't look back and have a regret about having squandered this threshold of the threshold. Um, so I, I just wanted to say a little bit about how much it means to me to have all of you go. I have worried about you since before you arrived, <laughs> right? I knew about the 36%. Right? which gave me special concerns. And these three years have not been easy for you. 
right? I know you've worked really hard, right? It's been a tremendous amount of work. All jokes aside, you've worked really hard. You've accomplished incredible things. The dean will list them all at graduation, right? Or some of them. Um, you know other things that you've been through, personal struggles that you've had, that you've overcome, that you've gotten through. And this community wasn't the most stable one. We had a rough first year. We had a homicide in Charlottesville. We had a terrible national scandal about an alleged rape that didn't happen that made a lot of pressure for all of you when you were one else. So I worried, I worried. That's why I was indignant all the time, right? That's why I kept yelling at the Law Weekly, stop joking, it's not funny. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> but, and then this year, right? This year's not been easy. And you're now going out into a world, you're inheriting a world where you got a lot of work to do, right? A lot of work to do to support yourselves, a lot of work to make the world better and safe and good for all of us. And so I've worried about you. I'm really going to miss you. You're not fungible. You're unique. You're special. My vision isn't that good. So when the fall comes, I'll see a silhouette. It'll be some random dude one out. <laughs> and I'll think, I'll think it's one of you. And I'll start towards you, right? Shake your hand, welcome you back. And I'll go, no, you're gone. See, it's over, right? And it's been just an incredibly important privilege. This is my home. I love it here. But I love it because of you and the spirit that you bring. So please don't take that for granted. Please understand what a contribution you've made to the community and come back and see us. And the thing that I wish you now in my, in my, in my absolute parting is I wish you joy. I hope you have fun joy in your work and joy in your lives. And keep me, keep me posted. Thank you. Thank you.